Welcome to Powered, Powered by, by Magic, where we discuss topics surrounding magic and common or not so common questions. Let's take this journey together. Hi, I'm Tatiana. And I'm Sylvia. And we're coming to you from Eugene, Oregon. We invite you to conjure up a broom and come right with us. I want to begin by dedicating this episode to my dear friend Kathleen, who has just passed away. She was extremely supportive in many, many ways, not the least of which was for this podcast. I will miss her beyond words, and she will be on my altar this Samhain. Mm, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Well, on that note, how's your week been? I think that one pretty much sums it up, to be quite honest. Yeah. Uh, the only outside factor is that I did have my daughter come into town and visit for one day. She came in from Atlanta, mm-hmm. and that was a real treat. And she was here for the news, so it was perfect timing as having support, you know. Yeah. And I guess that's really just the summation of my week. Okay. How about you? I had a pretty good week. Things are changing at work, so that's a little bit nerve-wracking for me just because it's change, and I don't do well with that. But otherwise, uh, everything's going well, and yeah. I'm glad to hear that, and I'm sure that work will go fine. You got that. I certainly hope so. (laughs) (laughs) So, what's your favorite part of Samhain or Halloween or both? I want to address Samhain first. For me, it's about reverence and honoring those who have passed, but reverence in all aspects of life and death, particularly death, those who have gone before us, knowing that we wouldn't be here without them, good or bad. And I think taking a moment, giving that some thought and energy is really important to me. I believe probably that is the biggest thing about Samhain. Mm -hmm. Halloween is a little different, a little more fun. Uh, I love getting dressed up and I love trick-or-treating to the point where I used to force my kids to continue to trick-or-treat because I didn't want it to end. And I would make them go up to houses and no, you're not done yet. I used to walk five miles in the snow and pouring (laughs) rain and you know, all those things, trick-or-treating. What do you mean you're giving up now? Is that a hill? I think not. You know, I just uh, love trick-or-treating and dressing up and having that chance. I do think there should be adult trick-or-treating. I have heard some places do this. Oh my goodness, I would love that. Adult trick-or-treating, including going to houses, getting a little sip of some sort of hot toddy or nice mixed drink, Mm. you know, just house to house. You're walking, right? I mean, you know, just make sure you're walking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I know some people drive, but I think, you know, if you're walking, you're good. You're pretty good as long as you're not, you know, a a terrible drunkard, Uh, (laughs) you know, you can mind your manners and be good. Just assuming those things. I think it would be a lot of fun, especially Mm -hmm. if you're living like in the northern hemisphere northern states where it's colder and you're trick-or-treating with your kids and you're cold and wet and you deserve something you deserve a treat right right so that was that's something i always kind of keep in the back of my mind i'm like i don't trick-or-treat anymore my kids are older now but i do miss it and i Hmm. still get dressed up of course yeah okay how about you Uh, i think i will address Samhain as well first for me, it's the quiet and the rest. I I like the, just like the the very 
introverted nature of Samhain. Also the remembrance, remembering those who have gone before us, giving a moment to them, understanding that they lived a life too. They were a full human being. Yeah. Were you going to address Halloween? Oh, or? sorry. No, yeah. don't be. I just was curious. Yeah, Halloween, again, different, but all, all, all the fun. <laughs> I can't talk today. For me, Halloween dressing up and is the fun part. Also, taking on those things which you fear. People facing death a little bit. I mean, I know Halloween isn't as much about that anymore as it used to be. There's still a little bit of that there. People dressing up as the things they fear and kind of taking on those aspects and really integrating that shadow part of themselves. Yeah, I like that. This week's episode, let's begin the holidays. Samhain. Yeah, let's start with some Samhain history. There's quite a bit of it, as I'm sure everyone is aware. It, of course, is a pagan practice, and it started a long time ago. It started before the Romans. It goes back to word of mouth. It predates many things, and it was by word of mouth that we've learned about these things. So a lot of what we know today and even what we have in history books is just the best we could piece together. Mm -hmm. It's survived changes in history over basically 6,000 years. And mm. you consider everything that's happened, you know, over the Europe and the witch hunts and the Puritans and all of these things, it still survived somehow, Christianity, and, and it's managed to come around. Starts back in what was termed as the Paleo-Pagan times, which is the ancient forms of paganism, moving uh, with the light of the year. Strongly is associated with fire and flames, which equaled the aspect of the divine, transformation, eradication, destruction, and safety. Fire was considered sacred, and many gods and goddesses have come from them. Lore indicates that on Samhain, being a fire festival, the hearth fires were extinguished and then relit from a main fire known by the Druids as, and I'm going to try and say this, Tlachta, something to that effect, T-L-A-C-H-T-G-A, -A. Celtic people, people who know Gaelic, I please forgive me for that absolute murdering of that. But this was done by the Druids and the Celts. The Celts were early Indo-European immigrants making their way ever west, dispersing along the way until they hit Great Britain and Ireland. It's said that they were pastoral peoples, depending on the raising of animals and the changings of the seasons of the year. Celts didn't believe in time as being linear, but more cyclical, infinite, circular. The Celtic New Year's Eve was of November, so the night before November 1st, existed as a point outside of time when the natural order resets itself. On a personal note, I gave this some consideration, and, and I believe that this is very similar to the phase of the new moon each month, which is a time outside of time, a void of sorts. And it's just a pondering I had, but, you know, anyone else has any input on that or thoughts on that, please pipe in. We've talked about the moon phases, and that is just a time of being quiet. And I think Samhain is very similar, just taking that reverent moment 
of peace, rest, and recognizing that space. Mm -hmm. Being outside of time meant it could be any other place in time. Thus, a sense of chaos could prevail. What they did believe was that it was a time where the veil was thin and the living and the dead could cross through at that time. Celts had no belief in heaven or hell, just the land of the dead known as Chirnanog. And I do know I said that right, because I've heard it many a time. <laughs> they welcomed their spirits back to the table on Samhain by leaving out food. With the knowledge that the dead had outside constraints of time, they could potentially give information about the past or the future. It's possible that this is where the idea of divination being connected to Samhain sprung from. According to their beliefs, there was an afterlife and that the souls which had passed on had reasons and incentives to want to do good so that they could raise themselves up upon re reincarnation. The details are a little unclear to me about that. My, I don't know, I'm not sure exactly how that goes. Interesting side note, what is also considered is that they believe that the souls resided in the head Therefore, they would cut off the heads of their enemies so that they could not reincarnate into human form again and then come back against them. Yet another belief they had was in the Fae, fairies, which dwelled in the in-between. There was a strong consensus that the Fae were angry at them for forcing them from this realm when they invaded the regions into the space of the in-between, were therefore very dangerous to mess with because they were angry. Since the veil between the worlds is thinnest at Samhain, it's thought that they would come through and cause mischief in our world. Humans also caused mischief and on this night, which was considered to be actually an acceptable thing in order to get it out of their systems before entering the dark months of winter. We still do that today, but I hardly think that we get it out of our system. To surmise, the Celts saw Samhain as a time to celebrate the dead. Some have thought that the Irish Gaelic translation is Sam, meaning summer, and Fwyn, meaning end, summer's end. Then some have translated as the word November. Some different names, names of way to say this, the Scottish Highlands would say Savin, or Wales would say Sawin. One way Samhain lived on after the Romans arrived is because the Romans had a harvest celebration called Pomona that occurred on November 1st and that made it easy for the Celts to join in during the transition period of the Roman arrival. As Christianity rose the culture of the Celts were more forcibly melded and many of the Christian holidays were made to be close enough to pagan holidays that they would convert with more ease. Thus Samhain became All Hallows Eve and in some way survived again. Christianity placed different definitions onto what were known as the Fae. They became demons, and those who had passed on became ghosts and ghouls. Pagans were taught that the Lord of the Underworld, note, not Hell, became Satan, Lord of Hell. You keep in mind the Celts had no belief in Heaven or Hell up until this point. This began to change as the Druids were systematically eradicated. It's possible that the word Samhain was incorrectly translated by the Christians as Samuel, Samuel, God of the Underworld, very near the idea of Samuel in the Bible, one who we might note had a questionable past. Catholicism took all of the above then, mixed it in with the superstitious nature of the Celts, 
and created a very scary holiday that would hopefully end it all together. Although it certainly changed it, over time it has made its way back again to as close to the original form as we can guess it once was. Mm-hmm. Yay, pagans! Woohoo! Again, it's guessing game as to what it really was, but we're, I think, pretty close. A small note about witches and Halloween. The Roman Empire was the start of the patriarchal society, and many of their practices were taken on by Christians. Being patriarchal meant that women, wise women, witch, any woman who was deemed to hold power, presented a threat and needed to be removed. One way to do this was to make them scary. Teachings were such that women had no souls and therefore were inhuman, which was one way to make murdering them much more palatable, as we have seen through the ages. Mm. All Saints' Days, Hallow's Eve, and Hallow Mass are all markings of the Christian Church and are particularly attributed to Pope Boniface, Boniface the Fourth. The Celts believed that October 31st was the Eve of Samhain and November 1st was the Day of Samhain, a time of honoring the dead. In another attempt at conversion, a mass was contrived to honor the dead known as the Eve of All Hallows, which became All Hallows Even, and then evolving into Halloween. And that is the more distant past history of Samhain. Very cool. I have a little bit more recent past on the history of Halloween and Samhain. The holiday of Halloween in America is generally thought to have come from the Irish, and that is mostly true, but there were other influences. German, English, Polish, French, Scottish, and others were there as well. From the beginning of the colonies, there were harvest festivals and Days of the Dead. The Days of the Dead were mostly in the form of All Souls Day and All Saints Day, as much of the population was Protestant. After the beginning of the migration to America, but before the mid-1800s, there were a couple of precursors to Halloween as we know it now, Mischief Night and Community Parties. Mischief Night was a time for all sorts of pranks, such as taking apart and putting together a wagon on top of a barn or overturning outhouses. Fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you were saying earlier, just to get get it out of their system before the winter time came in. Right. It was also um, thought to be a way of kind of chastising your neighbors for being unsociable or... Having done them some sort of wrong. Yes. Mm -hmm. Community parties were held to celebrate harvests, to have a good dance, or tell a scary ghost story. Fun stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Victorian times focused on the fun aspects of harvest celebrations. So the dancing, the party games, that sort of thing favoring those over the associations with death, witchcraft, and destruction. Except for the divination with the dead, to find your mate, apparently. That was okay, but the rest of it wasn't. (laughs) It was seen as a holiday for young people looking to wed, and less for couples at that point. Early 1900s had Halloween in recognizable form with candy and costumes for children. The companies and corporations had found out that this was a very profitable thing. Mischief Night, however, was still around, but instead of simple pranks, vandalization had become a problem. 
Many efforts were made to end Mischief Night, but that really didn't happen until World War II. And I might add in that Mischief Night was the night before Hallow's Eve. Yeah. I will mention just a small story here. Hmm. My brother, oh man, he used to get into trouble. And I remember, I might have been five years old or something, but my brother took eggs and egged the neighbor's house. It was horrible. Oh, my no. mother was furious. And of course, you can't really get egg off. It no. does terrible damage. And my brother, of course, got in great trouble. It was such a memorable moment to me about mischief night. <laughs> that, wow. You know, and of course, we still go around and see people toilet papering trees and such. Mm-hmm. But, And I honestly kind of like mischief night as long as it's not super harmful. I mean, yeah. But unfortunately, a lot of times it just really is distasteful. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No problem. During World War II, some places canceled Halloween celebrations. Many others embraced them as needed fun. Whether it was from increased pressure or from patriotism in the war effort, Mischief Night generally ended during this time period. After the war, Halloween proliferated. Instead of just celebrating the night of, the whole month of October was used for haunted houses, hayrides, and other celebrations. Yay! Yes. Current practices for Samhain and such are actually quite varied depending on the holiday observed. I'll start with some very short descriptions of festivals of the dead other than Samhain, which include but are not limited to Oban, which is held around August 15th. It is a Japanese Buddhist honoring of the dead. It includes lighting beautiful floating lanterns and releasing them into rivers to go to the ocean. You know, we did that at summer camp. It wasn't celebrating Halloween, of course, or Oban for that matter, but it is a beautiful sight to see. That's Mm. why I said anything. Another one is Dia de los Muertos, held on November 1st and 2nd, mostly associated with Mexico, but it's observed all over Latin America. Parties, dances, food, and parades celebrate the dead, and it is believed that the dead celebrate alongside the living. I like that. I know I'm going to butcher this, but I'm going to try anyways. Chuseok, held sometime in September or October. It is a Korean observance likened to American Thanksgiving. Along with this Thanksgiving, they also revere their ancestors, giving thanks to the dead for a bountiful harvest. The next one is Hungry Ghost Festival, held in July or August. It is a Buddhist and Taoist honoring of the ancestors. It's actually a month-long holiday, culminating in a festival. Fake money, cut-out cars, and paper watches are put into barrels and burned to provide for the ancestors in the afterlife at this festival. The last one I have here is Gai Jatra. I hope I didn't butcher that. Held in either August or September, this is a Nepalese celebration in which a family who have lost a loved one the last year lead a cow or someone dressed up as a cow in the hopes that the cow will lead the dead into the afterlife. Now, hey, we just thought we'd give you a little more info, like this podcast isn't brain-busting enough. This time is about Samhain and Beltane. There's some similarities between these two. Those being, they're both fire festivals, and the veil is thin on these days. That means the other world is close and fairies come out to play. But where Beltane is full of life and light, Samhain is stocked with dark and contemplation of death. 
Now, I celebrate Samhain on October 31st, most often with my friend and co-host, Tatiana. We like to get dressed up in our costumes for the day, and we go out for the evening. Where we go is to the local old cemeteries. We wander among the plots and stones, reading the names and dates silently. We walk around and just give thought to those names, how they may have lived and how they may have died. It's a solemn time of reverence and honoring those that have gone before. I will say that we frequently, you know, cemeteries close at a certain point. So Mm -hmm. you, of course, aren't supposed to be in there after a certain hour. We happen to go to the Masonic Cemetery most frequently, which is a beautiful cemetery here in Eugene. We usually end up going there around dusk. So Mm -hmm. we have the light yet of the evening hours showing us the names on the graves, but we do take, I hate to say this, our phones with us as flashlights so we can read the rest of them as the sun sets. Mm -hmm. But I really like that we do it at that time because it's sort of that feeling of saying goodbye as the sun Mm -hmm. sets. Mm -hmm. It just somehow feels right. Yeah. Then, of course, we try to see about visiting other cemeteries, if not, and then we treat ourselves in the evening after we've done all those festivities by going and getting pizza. (laughs) Well, at least we did that once. I think we did it twice. Did we do it twice? Yes, we did. I think on one occasion we got free pizza for being dressed up. Yes. (laughs) Yes, we did. That was fun. Yes, it was. Okay. We did think that we would go ahead and do an activity. In this case today, it's going to be a ritual, which is simplistic once you understand it but sort of complicated in the telling of how to do it this is a ritual that i came up with myself many years ago many many years ago i think in 99 2000 somewhere in there Mm. with my coven braden cord at the time i still think of all the rituals i've made this one's probably the favorite one that i've made and Mm. done It is a silent movement ritual, and this can be done as a coven, which is obvious since I just said that, or a group, or I have formatted it so that somebody who is a solitary practitioner could also do that. Mm. I'll start with the group, and this is a ritual to honor the shadow self. The supplies that will be needed are the normal tools for ritual, so stone or a pentacle for the north, a thame or censer for the east, wand or censer for the south, and chalice or cauldron for the west. All should be placed on the north altar in their appropriate places. Many books have depictions of this if you're not quite sure. I'm sure you can find it on the web, everything's there. Yeah. Uh, Decorations you will need are going to be decorations for four different altars symbolizing each element as much or as little as you like. Music. You're going to need something that is preferably non-vocal or that the vocals aren't distracting. You'll need it for each element and a long piece of dark, quote-unquote, music for the magic. That is the shadow self-movement. In how we do things today, I'm not super techie. I never was. We used to always have tech problems anyway. It was kind of a joke in our group that... It was inevitable that the music would have problems. Mm. It never failed. It was, we just figure it was the spirits working with us and having their fun, <laughs> the fae having their fun. But I recommend having a playlist 
if you do this with a group, I actually recommend that you practice a little bit in timing. Songs are often three minutes long. You kind of want to be aware of where it's at. That's what we did. We did practice a little bit. It doesn't take anything away from when you're actually doing it because every time you do this, it's going to feel a little different. Mm. On that night, of course, it's going to be very powerful. The other music you're going to need is also preferably non-vocal or something like Enya that's going to be upbeat for the picking up of the boons and the rest of the ritual. You'll need an elemental candle for each altar, always maintaining safety measures, of course. You'll need one small or medium-sized bowl, a cloth to cover that bowl, wine and cakes. And wine is whatever you deem correct and appropriate for your group cakes can be savory or sweet doesn't matter Mm -hmm. for a group you're going to need what we call boons little treats for the work that you've done for a solitary practitioner you're going to need some paper and a pen boons can be anything they just get creative an example is to get some glass or metal or what have you stones that have positive words written on them. You know, what I'm talking about, those glass stones that have like the etching of believe or Or hope or or love. Exactly. Something like that is a nice thing to do. Okay. Maybe you get some small goddess symbols that are each unique or mostly unique. Depending on the size of the group, you can repeat some of those boons. I've seen them here and I don't know where, you know, what other metaphysical stores are like, but I'm sure you can get those anywhere. And they're just like maybe an inch tall they just are different shapes and have like some have spirals and some have something else Mm -hmm. and they're nice boons as well it doesn't have to be expensive it can be really really inexpensive you can make your own boons it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. for the group you're going to need one to four people to call in the elements the altars should be pre-prepared with decorations according to the element each altar should have at least one candle on it to be lit once the element has been called in or invoked assigned person or persons to sweep the circle and cast the circle you'll need at least a high priestess but if you can also a high priest place the bowl with the boons in the middle of the circle and cover them up with the cloth preferably the high priestess or high priest will do that while nobody else has yet arrived into the circle Now, this is a particular ritual where it is absolutely perfectly fine to have just the high priestess. Because as we know, the high priest has gone into the underworld to collect the dead. He will be bringing them through. She is still doing all of the work. Mm, Okay. Oh, it is perfectly acceptable. A lot of times I have found covens don't necessarily have a masculine energy or entity Mm -hmm. present who has studied enough to enact the high priest aspect Mm. the high the god aspect okay the concept here is to do a traditional ritual sweep the circle cast the circle call in the elements starting in the north clockwise and then light the candle or candles on each altar once it has been called in or invoked and it's really beautiful to do that just one altar at a time And if you have more than one candle, you do each one on that altar. Mm -hmm. It's just really a special moment to watch that lighting up. You will have somebody to call in the god and goddess, which would be the high priest and priestess. All parts will be done in silence. That's really important. That's the whole point of this ritual is that it's done in silence. 
A piece of music will be assigned for each aspect. Now begins the fun. Each group member will in turn get up and do some sort of movement of their choosing. We did creative dance to display their shadow aspect as they want to work with it. We would get up after, so just trying to make sure this is clear. When an element is called in, you have a specific song for that element. The person calling in that element will enact some sort of movement, dance or otherwise, stationary near the elemental altar and enact what that element might feel like. Okay. And it'll be in, the altar will be in the direction that it's associated with. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. So we did creative dance. It can be any kind of movement that feels appropriate. When you're doing the shadow self work, you could be really angry and really work that out and have that fists and rage and it's all done in silence, but it's you working with yourself. It's not to put on a show for anybody. It Mm. is just having that moment of recognizing, honoring that part of yourself that is completely a balance to us. Mm -hmm. It should be something that you can describe with one word or as close to that as possible. That is something that should be contemplated before the ritual usually. For example, let's say you are dealing with anger as your shadow self. That's one word. Mm -hmm. Fear. What else can we think of? Depression. Depression. It can be a few words. I'm drawing blanks right now, (laughs) but I hope you get the idea of what I'm saying. Again, this will be done in silence, except for the music. Try to see if you can play the music in a continuous loop until each member has had their chance to work with the shadow self. Once everyone has had their round, then the silence can be broken and people can speak about their movement if they want. There should be no pressure around having people speak about this because this is very personal. Mm-hmm. And I have seen it in covens where there has been pressure even subtly put on, and that's not fair and not comfortable, especially with this kind of work. But it also can be very healing to talk about it, have people be there for you. And sometimes people get super emotional and cry, and that's just what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, then some people don't. Leave room and space for an individual's processes, guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah. When ready, everyone's going to join hands and begin raising the cone of power, but counterclockwise. Each person will chant their word or words as the churning happens. If it was anger, you're going to continually chant the word anger or pain or sorrow. The churning should not be done over the bowl in the center, rather around it. When the cone has been raised, the high priest or priestess, which should be decided beforehand, we'll call quote unquote down. All will then put the palms of their hands to the ground. Now I'd like to say something about raising a cone of power here. I have found and I would warn my students that the cone of power can be extremely powerful and sometimes it's just a cone of power that doesn't have as much energy to it and it doesn't take doesn't mean it's not as potent. It means it's just a different energy. Mm-hmm. In something like this, it can be so powerful that it literally has blown people backwards. Even if you're sitting down, you can get pushed backwards. It's important just to be aware that you might feel a real heavy push or pull, and you do want to ground yourself. That's why we put our palms to the ground. Okay, yeah. Stay there until everyone has grounded and shown themselves as ready to continue. 
Once all are ready, each person should draw a random boon from underneath the cloth. That will be a representation of what they will bring with them into the new year. Now wine and cakes will be performed in whatever manner is most comfortable. We had the god and goddess or high priest and priestess bless them first and then each go around serving the group member while also offering a blessing. We would sometimes do it where literally the high priest and priestess were together going one behind the other to one person then the next person and so on but sometimes what we would do is have the high priest go to one side of the horseshoe of the circle Mm -hmm. and the other one go to the other side and begin and then somewhere in the middle they'll cross over but continue going and that's Mm -hmm. always fun it's also a little more time saving and if you do it that way okay but it's not about time of course it's a matter of what's most comfortable offering the blessings to each covenant to each other as high priest and priestess is a really beautiful thing. At this point, you're going to let this go on as long as you like, then the high priest or priestess should bring things together for a closing. To close, release the god and goddess with thanks. Release the elements counterclockwise starting in the west, blowing out the candles on each altar as you go. Then all join hands saying, May the circle be open, but unbroken. So mote it be. For a solitary, yes, mm-hmm. you look like you were going to say something. I was just going to say it was, it's lovely, and I wish I could have been there for one of them. Oh, thanks. That was, I miss a coven. I miss a group. It's mm-hmm. very powerful magic, intricate work. Mm-hmm. It's really fun to see everybody's process. Just exploration. Mm-hmm. of soul and it was wonderful so thank you yeah moving on to the solitary way to do this first of all i would say read or listen to all of what i just said because that will give you the basic idea if you didn't listen to all of it <laughs> so you'll prepare everything as above rather than a bowl with boons in it you're going to write several small pieces of paper with something nice on it that you could do for yourself as a treat a real treat something that you can and will do. Realistic, in other words. Fold those up, place them in the bowl in the center of the circle, cover that with the cloth. Okay. If you're doing this ritual, be prepared. You're gonna get some exercise as a solitary because you've gotta do all the work. That's the nice thing about a group is that somebody else carries some of the load and you're not doing all of it. In a ritual like this, think that you're getting your exercise (laughs) as a solitary. You are going to be charged with doing all of the parts that in the group each member would usually do. You will do it all in silence other than the music you have chosen for each part. The shadow self movement occurs after the god and goddess are raised. Enact the movement as best describes the shadow piece you are working with, as said in above. Choose only one shadow piece to work with. After that is done, use the word or words that describe that aspect to raise the cone of power to chant while doing the churning. Churn counterclockwise. Do not churn over the boons bowl. When enough energy is raised, press it down into the ground, normally known as calling down, and then sit for a few minutes until you feel completely grounded. Without looking, pull one piece of paper from the bowl. That will be the boon for yourself and you must do it within the year. You have to be honest with yourself. 
you know, don't push this away. This is truly for yourself. It's something you deserve. You've done this magic. It is best to do it sooner than later. Maybe even do some journaling since you're solitary and you're not discussing this with other people. It could be nice to have that as a way to release the rest of it. Yeah, an outlet. Yeah, an outlet, exactly. Then when you're ready, release the god and goddess and the elements. Blow out the candles on each altar, giving thanks to everything. Finish by saying, so mote it be. I wanted to offer some music suggestions because this is a silent ritual. Some people may have already tons of music they are familiar with. I recognize that some people may not have a clue as to what sounds good. And it's easier if somebody kind of guides in the right direction, I Mm -hmm. think. I'm just going to give a list here. Again, you can read through all of this on our podcast page and WordPress, and we'll have it there for you. One that I would recommend is Cavalry, which is the Celtic Mysteries. Delirium is a great group. Pretty much any of their CDs will work. Enya, again, is, you know, pretty much any of them. Govinda is uh, the Earthly Gods CD is particularly good. Lorena McKennett is, well, anyone. Gary Stadler is really great for fairy-type music. There is one that's called Nordic Roots, which is from a Northside collection. Kind of like the ones you get in the, you know, used to get in the bookstores. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hate to say this, but they even had, at one point, had them in Walmart, those stands where you could listen. You press the button and it would play samples, yeah. Right. It's one of those collections, but it is a good one. Emmer Kenny is not well known. She's quite perfect for this kind of thing. Mm. Lesiem Mystic Spirit Voices is the name of the album, I believe. Doogie McLean, who is also very good. Perthshire Amber. Mm. Another one that's really highly energetic. If you're doing the solitary thing, you may not want to choose this one. It's called Afro Celt Sound System is the group. Mm-hmm. And they have several albums out. And I forgot to look up the album that I highly recommend. But you can find out for yourself. They're really very energetic. It's one that I used for a lot of different rituals. It's a great party one for afterwards. Because after every ritual as a coven, we always had a feast to ground ourselves with. Fun. Now we have Tarot with Tatiana. In honor of Samhain's Eve and Samhain's Day, I thought I'd pull two cards. I was called to pull two cards. The first is going to be for what we release into the darkness and the past, and the other will be to bring in the new year. In releasing, we got the Six of Pentacles, letting go of the perception of not having enough, the thoughts that lead us to be unstable when we are indeed better off than what we surmised. Were we asking for much more than we actually needed, relying on others as a crutch? If so, were we doing a disservice to ourselves and others? This is not limited to matters of money. Crutches come in many forms. Let go of the idea of need and embrace the idea of plenty. You may have to work to get there though. I'm certainly not suggesting that this card is saying to not ask for help when help is required. Just be sure that you take only what is necessary and share the rest. Release non-essential reliance. We are stronger than we have been giving ourselves credit for. The receiving for the new year 
was the Ace of Pentacles. And that just seems appropriate that it was the Ace of Pentacles. Once we release, we receive, literally here. This is starting from scratch, but being handed the tools we need to do so. From here, we can build a strong foundation for any new endeavor. Based on our release, I'd say we can rely on ourselves with confidence. The universe is giving us the green light to develop and expand our possibilities. Don't limit yourself. Open your eyes to opportunity because it awaits us in the new year. This year is about growth and opening up. We will find new ways to cope with our circumstances and move forward. It is quite possible that we'll be receiving outside support. Ironic and perfect considering what we were just releasing. Mm -hmm. Outside of the tarot, we wanted to say, why don't you come join us for our special about Samhain? It also releases today and we hope that you will enjoy it. It has activities in it and it is a shorter episode. Yes, it is. Please rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you found us. Note we have our references posted on the written version of our episode today. I'm Tatiana, saying goodbye for now. And I'm Sylvia, saying so long, and thank you for writing with us. This has been Powered, Powered by, by Magic. Magic.